What a great way to start. You can be seated. Man, uh, what a great way uh, just to see Lily and her testimony of faith and entering into the waters of uh, baptism for me personally. Uh, man, what a great moment. Uh, Lily and my daughter, Mercy, are best buds, and over the course of the last year or so, um, our families have grown really close to one another, and to be able to see her enter into the waters is just a special, special thing. Just a year ago, last summer, we baptized her mom, Danny, and so um, just cool what God's doing in that family. Can we actually give Lily a hand for uh, what's going on in her life? Yeah. So if you're here today, um, I just want you to know that when it comes to baptism, we make baptism a big deal here. That as we read through the New Testament, what we see time and time again is this kind of believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized. And what we understand from the New Testament is that this baptism that we participate in is more than just the sharing of our faith. It's certainly that. But there's something mysterious that happens where the New Testament talks about our baptism as really us coming into union with the death and resurrection of Jesus. That, like, not only like this is our hope, but we're actually in union with him. And the Bible, the way that it speaks about baptism is that when it comes to baptism, if we as believers are not participating or have not participated in baptism, we're actually missing out on something on our faith journey. And so as a pastor to you, man, my encouragement is if you're a believer, whether you're at like the front end of your journey as a believer, or you've been walking with Jesus a long time, if you haven't been baptized, let me encourage you to at least consider it. Uh, we have our text line. Tiffany mentioned it earlier. It's 720-513-1933. You can text the word next to that. And anywhere, whether you're like, man, I got some questions before I do this whole thing up here, or man, I'm ready to get baptized next week. Either way, text next, and uh, we'll get you taken care of and start that journey with you, okay? So uh, with that said, if you are new with us today, welcome. My name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, and today we are continuing our series that we've been in uh, through the book of Acts, this New Testament book that we have been walking through as a church. Now, when it comes to it today, the reality is, is any great story or any story that we read, we love a great ending, don't we? Like you can think of whether it be like books, like Where the Crawdads Sing, or TV shows like Parks and Rec, Justified, Not Lost so much, um, or movies like The Usual Suspects, or The Sixth Sense, or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like we love a good ending to a story, don't we? My favorite of all endings is from the movie Inception. Any Inception fans in here? Yeah, quite a few of you. Yeah, if you don't know, spoiler alert, this is where it's going, is that um, Inception is this really creative movie that really tells the story of these heists that are happening like within the human mind during dreams. And it's revealed during part of the movie that the way to tell like when the acts are happening, if you're in the dream or in reality, is by spinning a totem. And if the totem continues to spin on indefinitely, then you're in the dream. If it falls over, then you are, you know, in reality. And so the way the story plays out is the main character, Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, finally gets past his demons and comes to, uh, you know, make peace with what happened with his wife, Mao. And at the end, after years of being away, he sees his kids in the backyard. He returns home. And right before he goes out and plays with them, he takes the totem and he begins to spin it. And the last scene in the movie is the totem kind of wiggles a little bit, but then it catches itself and it's spinning and the camera goes black and you're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> like, is it a dream or is it real? Like, Christopher Nolan, you can't leave us. Like, it's like, we got to know. Like, we just love great endings to a story. Well, today we come to the end of our journey in 
this book of Acts. That over the course of the last 18 months, three different sermon series, 21 different messages, we have been walking through this book of Acts where Luke, the writer, is telling the story, the origin story of the church, and today we bring that all to a close. Now, as we jump into it today, to really appreciate the ending of Acts and what's all going on in Acts, we really have to understand and see the whole story. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, we're told that in the beginning, God God created. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, wait, 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 like the whole, whole story? Like this is going to be, this sermon is going to go on for three hours. Yes, it is, but you'll make it to the Bronco game, all right? So here's where it is, right? In the beginning, in the beginning, God created. That right at the beginning, on the first page, the Bible wants you to know that there is a God and that he is the creator, that he is the unmade maker. That when you look around, the reality for each and every one of us is that as we look around, everything that we see, everything that we touch, everything that we experience has been created. From the seats that you're sitting in, to the people that you're sitting beside, to the music that we sing, to the guitars that it's banged on, to the screens that you're watching, that everything that we see, touch, and experience has been created. In fact, science would even call for an unmade maker. Now, it doesn't know what to call it, so it says, let's call it the Big Bang or, you know, some cosmic explosion of nothingness, but something, right, at some time, something came from nothing. And the Bible says, let's just clear that up for you, that in the beginning, there is God, he is there, and he created that he is the unmade maker. Now, from the very beginning, the book says, let me tell you about this God. Let me tell you what he's like and what he does, what his nature is and what his character is all about. And so from the very first pages of scripture, we see this God walking with people. We see the creator walking with the created and it's beautiful and it is, and it's good. And from the beginning, the very beginning, God said, look, I'm not going to force you to walk with me. I'm not going to make you robots, that I'm going to give you the opportunity, I'm going to give you the choice when it comes to this relationship. And so we're introduced to this first man named Adam and to the first woman named Eve. They're married together. And before them is this question, do we follow God or do we become our own gods? And in making the decision to become their own gods, they eat of that one fruit. And through that one sin, rebellion comes flooding into the world. And instantaneously, the relationship between creator and creation is severed, it's shattered, it's it's lost. Men and women begin to to hide themselves from God. Animals are killed and their hides are used to cover up their nakedness and what was once beautiful and good is is now broken, is now lost. Guilt and shame are now a part of the picture. But from the very beginning of the story, it is a story about a God who has through the ages consistently and constantly reached out saying, choose me. The sin choice is ultimately yours. And so we have books upon books that make up this testament that we call old, the Old Testament, where we have these priests and kings and prophets, God's men and women coming and saying, turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. And we watch the people for a while turn back to God. But eventually they go back through their own ways, making the world all about them. And the relationship with God we see over and over and over and over again is broken, 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 broken. Time and time again, we see that it is just simply broken. And God comes to these people and he says, look, you can play religion. You can sing songs, you can can be praised, but if there is not obedience, then I'm not there. And from the very beginning, we see this problem of sin. 
and we realize that sin at the center is the cause of the broken relationship that we experience between humanity and God, between creator and the creation. That God being a holy God, being a pure God, cannot have relationship with sin. In the Old Testament, we have these books that we call the book of the law, book of laws. And as we read through them, they look a little bit barbaric to us today, don't they? Like we read through the books of the law and they serve to us as a, as a disturbing reminder, a, sharky, a, a shocking benchmark that says that you're not perfect. That you don't have what it takes. You don't stack up. You don't have the credentials to sit at the table. It shows us over and over again that you don't measure up to the holiness of God. And so every year in the Old Testament, we watch people come and make sacrifice of animals to God. That serves as a reminder that once you take your life away from God, a payment of life is demanded. That you can kill an animal not for the payment of sin, but just to cover the interest for the next year. As the story goes on, we're introduced to the prophets. And they start making this prophecy that there is this lamb that's coming, the lamb of God that would come, that would be so great, so great that he would take away all the sins in the world. That it would be this once and for all offering that would cover not just the interest for the next year, but the payment in full. And so as this story unfolds, we, we watch as, as God chooses him for himself a people. We call these people the Hebrew people or the Jewish people, the Israelite people, to carry this message forward about this Lamb of God who is coming. God says, I'll show you what it means to love and to live if you're willing to walk with me. And so we have this whole testament, this, this, this old testament that talks about who God is. Our problem when it comes to sin and this promise of hope, a Hebrew word that is translated for us as Messiah, Savior, Son of the living God. Now, when the Hebrew people heard that this Savior was coming, in their minds, they thought of a guy like Thor. You know, so big, so powerful, so strong, that when he came, like all the other nations would just, would just fall down, and that their aspirations of political power and military might, that it would be fulfilled. What they did not realize is that the Savior who was to come was bringing a spiritual freedom and had little interest in military might and political aspirations. Matthew, Mark, and Luke pick up the story. In the manger, we have Joseph and Mary, donkeys and angels, and a baby is born who grows up to be a man, and as he walks through this life, we see what humanity was always supposed to be like. We see what it truly looks like to walk with God. John the Baptist sees him, and he goes, hey, right there, there, there's the son of the living God. That Jesus right there, that's the lamb that we've been waiting on. That's him. And as the gospels unfold, we watch as Jesus walks through this life walking on water, calming the storms, feeding people from a single lunchbox, healing the blind by spitting loogies in the sands, touching lepers and healing them, raising a person from the dead by just the sound of his voice. We watch him teach not before hundreds, but before thousands, turning a nation upside down. The gospels go about speaking about who this Jesus is and that ultimately he died on the cross. And what's left in the wake of the cross is disciples, stunned. How could a man so powerful, how could a man who could do all of these miracles, how could he end up dying like this? Until three days later, he pulls off 
the unimaginable when he walks up out of the grave. The political leaders, the Roman officials, they have no answers. The Jewish leaders, they're mystified. And all of his followers are sitting there wondering and asking the same question, could it be? Could he actually be who he says he is? Like, is he the Christ, the son of the living God? Is he the Messiah, the savior, the lamb that we've been waiting on? The one who will restore relationship with God? The one who will restore what is broken? After Jesus is resurrected, hundreds of people see him, thousands more believe in him by putting their faith in him. And then the greatest mystery ever happens. Jesus, looking at his followers, at his disciples, says, look, God's not done. He says, Dad's got a gift for you. The gift that Jesus speaks about is a person. The person's name is the Holy Spirit, that whoever believes that the presence of God, the very Spirit of God, will dwell upon them, that all that is broken in relationship with God will be healed, that we will, we will understand and know what it looks like to walk again with our Creator, with the God who so desires relationship with us. As the Holy Spirit comes, a movement is launched, we call it the church. A few years later, this guy named Saul shows up and he's bent on eradicating the church. But he has this remarkable moment with the resurrected Jesus and suddenly he becomes a part of it. He goes from Saul the great murderer to, Saul, to Paul, the great spokesman, spokesperson of the church. And under his passionate leadership, this little movement that began in the city of Jerusalem spreads throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. The book of Acts begins with Jesus raising from the dead and giving his Holy Spirit now towards its end has Paul, the great spokesperson of the church, sitting in prison. The Jews, the religious leaders, are trumping up charges in order to have him killed. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is there speaking to him and says, Paul, I got big plans for you, man, that I'm sending you to Rome. You're going to the most powerful city in the entire world and you're gonna stand before the most influential person in the world that you're bringing the gospel to Caesar. As that night unfolds, a kill squad is sent in to take care of Paul miraculously. He finds his way out of that. He's sent to the governor of Caesarea who sends him to the king of Israel who ultimately sends him on his way to Rome. On his way to Rome, he gets shipwrecked. He eventually makes it to the city. When he gets there, the people of Rome are like, hey, we know that you were sent here on charges, but nobody's here to charge you. We don't know what to do, but we can't let you out. And so their solution is to tie Paul up to a Roman guard for the next couple of years and just let him wait. And so as he's chained to this guard, the Jewish leaders in Rome find out that Paul's hanging out in this house, and so they go to visit him because they've heard the stories of Paul, and they want to see for themselves the rebel rouser of this Jesus cult. And when they show up, Paul begins where he always began, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, three days later rose from the grave, proving he is who he says he is, and that anyone who repents of their sins and believes as Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they will be saved, that the Spirit of God will be upon them, the relationship will be healed. On that day, some of the Jewish leaders believed, most of them simply refused. And as they get ready to leave, Paul looks at them with one final message that's recorded for us at the very end of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, verse 28 or 29, depending on your Bible. And it says this, therefore, 
Let it be known to you, religious leaders, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. That he lived there, that being Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. And it's like the totem spun for us and the cameras go dark and we go, whoa, 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 whoa. Did he make it? Did he make it to Caesar? Did he live? Did he die? Like what happened? Look, you can't leave us here with the totem spinning. Like we got to know the end of the story. And there's just this abruptness to the end of Acts that's intentional so that we see the point of Acts. See, when it comes to the purpose of Acts, it's this, that the purpose is Acts, the purpose of Acts is not to tell the story about Paul. Sometimes we get confused about this and that we think that the book of Acts is about the great spokesman Paul, but it's not telling the story of Paul, but rather it's telling the story of God's redemptive plan through the church. See, Acts is about the church. It's about a movement that Jesus spoke about all the way back in Matthew chapter 16, some 32 years before this moment in Acts chapter 28. Way before Paul, before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, before the trumped up charges, before the arrest, all the way back when his disciple Peter uttered the words in Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter responded, that I believe you to be the Christ, the son of the living God. And in that moment, as Jesus gazed upon Peter and the disciples, he saw a brand new community, one in which the spirit of God would be dwelling upon people and that they would become the church, that they would be his people to carry the message of the gospel to the world's. And he so moved, Jesus is, in that moment to make the greatest promise that we find in all of scripture. He says, Peter, based on this confession of faith that you've just made, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, the church will begin and not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. And so Acts begins with the initiation of this promise as Jesus ascends into heaven and as he leaves his Holy Spirit for us and it ends with Paul in chains. The great spokesman of the church has the entire Roman government stacked up against him. The religious leaders are smelling blood in that moment. And Luke tells us in verse 29, as Paul looks at them eye to eye as they're leaving, he says, in that moment, boys, <laughs> you got to get this. The salvation is coming for the Gentiles. That is, salvation is coming for those who are not Hebrew, for those who are not Jewish, for those who are not of Israel's blood, that they're coming for the Gentiles and they're gonna listen. They're gonna listen. That you guys missed it. That God did something amazing in your midst and you missed your Messiah, you missed your Savior. But God's not done. That God's moving and he's taken this message to the Gentile and here's your head up. The Gentiles are going to embrace it. And this movement of the church, it's going to go all the way around the world, whether I'm in chains here, walking as a free man, or in the ground dead, the church is going to move because the church is the unstoppable kingdom of God. Now, do you realize that when Paul echoes those words in Acts chapter 28, that you sitting here today, you watching online, that you are the fulfillment of that prophecy in Acts chapter 28, that here we are literally halfway around the world, largely a group of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, 
sitting in a room praising and singing and proclaiming the message that Jesus is the Christ. You are the fulfillment of Acts chapter 28 of what Paul tells to these Jewish leaders. In verse 30, we're told that over the next two years that Paul would own his own house, he would be chained to this Roman guard day and night, and that people from all over the known world would come and see him, and every time they showed up, he would share his same old story. He would tell of his Lord Jesus. And you know when the people showed up, they had to have their questions, right? I mean, you would have your questions, I would have my questions, and they would go, Paul, <laughs> you, mean, you mean the Lord Jesus that you spoke about, that got you beat up, kicked out, left for dead? You mean your Lord Jesus who got you arrested? You mean the Lord Jesus who allowed you to be shipwrecked? You mean the Lord Jesus who has you chained to this Roman soldier? Lord Jesus, what has he done for you lately? And undetoured, Paul, no pity party here, Luke tells us that when the people showed up, that Paul would proclaim Jesus in all boldness and without hindrance. Let me ask, do you know what boldness is? Do you know what boldness is? How would you define boldness? Biblically speaking, boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat because of the hope that we have in Jesus. Biblically speaking, that's what boldness is, which means that boldness is not a personality trait. It means that boldness isn't reserved for, you know, the outspoken, type A driven person. That boldness is not volume. What I do here on Sunday morning is not bold, it's my job. You wanna judge my boldness? Don't do it here. Boldness is not, you know, the man in Boulder with his signs, you know, shouting the gospel at everyone who walks by. There's no threat there. The only time those guys get arrested is because they're stupid. Right? Like there's no threat there. He's not going to lose a job. He doesn't know those people. In fact, he'll probably never see those people again. That when it comes to boldness, boldness looks a lot like John and Peter standing before the Sanhedrin under the threat of prison and possibly death. And as they stand before those Jewish leaders, they decide to share Jesus anyways. Boldness is the believers that we find in Echinum who are being violently persecuted, and despite the opposition, and even because of the opposition, they continue to share that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Boldness is Paul standing up before King Agrippa with his life hanging in the balance and deciding to go ahead and share about Jesus, his Lord and Savior. Boldness today looks like traveling across the country to see your brother who's rejected Jesus many times in his life, but for this time, you're determined to share him with him, whether he rejects or not. Boldness looks like you praying for your child as she goes off to college, not just for her protection, a good prayer, but more so that wherever she goes, that the faith and witness of her life because of Jesus would shine to everybody that she comes in contact with. Boldness looks like my friend Joyce, who when she found out that she had six months left to live, said, Matt, I don't want you to pray that God would take this from me. In fact, I want you to pray that in my suffering that I'll walk well on the road that Jesus has, that I will suffer well for his glory. See, boldness 
is realizing the fears that we have, that all the stuff that's going on in our lives, the trials and tribulations that we face and realizing that God is bigger that we have a hope in a victorious gospel, that God the Father loves you, that God the Son died for you, and that God the Holy Spirit is working within you in such a way to bring a steadfast faith, healing all that is broken in and through your life. It's so fitting, you have to see. It is so fitting for Luke to end his gospel of Acts with Paul acting in boldness. Because the whole story of Acts is about boldness, about the church, regular men and women praying for, standing up, speaking, acting out in boldness. And Luke is so moved by what he sees 13 times in Acts, he points out the boldness of the church, driving it home here in the last verse of his gospel as the exclamation point of the entire book. He wants us to remember that it was the boldness of those early believers that propelled the gospel by the Holy Spirit all the way here 2,000 years later to Thornton, Colorado. He wants you to walk away realizing that in your life. So as for Paul, history would tell us that he would serve there two years in that house. Eventually, he would get his time before Caesar. He would be released only to be imprisoned again because he would continue to talk about Jesus. And ultimately, in 65 AD, Caesar, Nero, would kill him, have him executed. And in AD 65, the greatest spokesman of the church that we have ever known was silenced. But the church was not. Because the church is the unstoppable kingdom of God that the church preserves, it perseveres. The church keeps going because of the bold belief that the church, despite the struggles, despite our trials, despite our, our sufferings, despite the obstacles that we face, that the church is the hope of the world. The church made up of regular people like you and me who boldly proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, who build our lives around the fact that he died for the forgiveness of sins. Raising three days later, proving he is who he says he is. And anyone who repents of their sins and calls out to Jesus as the Lord and Savior will be saved. And here's the kicker. You get to be the church for this generation. That God extends the opportunity to you that you have been invited to be the church for our generation. See, the book of Acts closes in chapter 28 only because the reality is, is that we are the ones who are boldly writing the 29th chapter of Acts. That the story doesn't end here. That's why, that's why Luke ends it in the abruptness that he does. That we are the ones that continue the story by boldly carrying forth the message of Jesus into people's lives who so desperately are trying to make sense of the chaos that surrounds them. And the question that hangs in the balance as we close up Acts is, will you take up the invitation? Will you take the opportunity that God is offering to you by the Holy Spirit to carry forward the story of the church to this generation? I mean, come on. How many times have one of you come up to me during these, these 21 sermons and going, man, I just wish, I just wish we had the influence of the early church. I mean, how many of us long 
for our neighbors and our relationships on the ball fields and the people in our community and our family to know Jesus the way that we know Jesus. I mean, how many of us read through the book of Acts and see the amazing stories that are being told of the early church and go, God, are you still doing that today? I mean, we look at at Peter and John and Lydia and Priscilla and Aquila and, you know, Apollos and Paul, and we see that they live their lives with such boldness, and we go, man, I just long for that in my life. The reality is, is that God is active today just as he was 2,000 years ago. And he has privileged us to be major players in his unstoppable kingdom. And for some of you, you need to hear today that the Holy Spirit, the sovereign God is inside of you. That he is at work in you, that you are a powerful person. And I get it, life is difficult right now, but you need to stand up, you need to be courageous, you need to be bold, you need to write your part of the story. And it all begins by taking the bold step of making sure that you're connected with Jesus. See, unless you're connected to Jesus, there is no hope, period. Unless you're connected with Jesus, there is no hope. And I say that's a bold step, or I say that is bold because it truly is a bold step. To say, God, I surrender my life to you. I surrender it all to you. All of my life, God, I give it to you. Because what God's asking of us, he's asking that we would be willing to trade in a life that you and I run, that you and I are in control of, that you and I are the kings of our and queens of our own kingdom. Lives where we plan how it's gonna go each and every day. Lives that, that we see and think that we're in charge of. And he goes, and I want you to trade in. I want you to trade in that I'm doing it life. And I want you to take that and I want you to trade that life in for a life that fits in the grand epic story that God is telling and that's going on all around us. It's a story of God that is about God, that centers on God, which came from God, which ends in God, and is happening in this world all around us. And the tragedy for you and I would be to finish acts and to try to hold on to our little lives and our little stories when we are being invited into a grander epic that God is telling in and through us. That when we come to realize this, we come to see that the story we're actually writing is a chapter in the bigger story that God has invited us into. See, when we see God face to face in the person of Jesus, we realize that this isn't just a nice fairy tale or a good Sunday school lesson. We realize that this is life. That God wants to be known and is known. That he loves you more than you could ever imagine that he wants to walk with you in all of life, that the very core of who you are can be healed, that your identity can be formed around being a child of God. And the greatest desire of God is that we would awaken and know that that exchange of the I'm doing it life from giving it all to you that when we make that exchange, it is better than anything else that we can experience in this entire life. And in that moment, we understand that the chapter that we're writing is just one chapter in the grand story that God is telling, just like Paul's chapter was some 2,000 years ago. If you'd like 
to explore what that looks like in your life. We're going to throw the text line up here. You can text the name of Jesus, and we would love to have a conversation. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you have some thoughts or apprehensions. Maybe you, maybe you have some feelings about the church, <laughs> and you're good with Jesus. You're just not sure about the whole church thing. We would love to talk about that with you, to have the conversation about what it looks like to see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Will you bow with me as we pray? Father, Lord, as we wrap up Acts today, Lord, what's impressed upon us so much is the reality of, of how the story continues. And Father, it is just so, I mean, I'm just awestruck that us being here today is the fulfillment of what you told Paul 2,000 years ago. God, I pray that, that that would not land softly on us today. But Lord, that we would realize that today that you've given us the opportunity, just like you gave Paul, to be the spokesman of your message. And so, Father, I pray for Crossroads Church, Lord, that we would shoulder that well, that we would carry forth the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in doing so, Lord, as we share that with the people of this world, that the brokenness of this world would be healed. Father, I pray for those today who you're whispering to, who you're making yourself known to. Father, I pray that they wouldn't run away scared, but rather, rather, Lord, that they would, that they would hear your whisper and that you would show them how truly loved they are. God, we thank you for the way that you move, the way that you work, the story that you're telling even through us today. Help us be bold. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we come together as a church, as a family, like we do every week, realizing that the story of Acts is really the story that we celebrate each and every week. It's the story of, of Jesus' body being broken for the payment of our sins, his blood being spilt so that we might have life and have it everlasting, that we might get to experience the spirit of God upon us as we join in the movements of carrying the great victorious message of the gospel to a world that so desperately needs it. And so today, having finished up Acts, we remember what Jesus accomplished on the cross for every single one of us. And through his blood, both the interest and the principle of our sin being paid in full. Over the next few minutes, we're gonna sing to our Lord and Savior Jesus. We're gonna participate with the saints over the last several thousand years, proclaiming in song that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So in-house, I'm gonna invite you to stand online. You can take whatever posture of worship you would like. If you need prayer, you can make your way to the banner. We'll pray for you. Otherwise, online, click the button. But let's sing together to our Lord and Savior Jesus today.